we're now going to transition into another form of worship, which is just the teaching and receiving of the word of God. And so I'd invite Vicki to come up and do our reading. You can all turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Thanks. Good morning. This is the word of God. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. How are you? Love the sunshine outside. It's beautiful. Love the opportunity to gather, to sing, and to worship, and celebrate. If you're new, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I want to do a couple of things. Last week, we had a guest preacher. I promised myself I wouldn't preach two sermons worth today, but I do want to do a couple of things because uh, it's a special day. Uh, It's a special day. It's Cinco de Mayo. uh, But we also got some birthdays in the house. We've got, uh, yeah. So, uh, Lynn Kayaza sitting right there. She's been hosting our family's community group for like two years. So, happy birthday, Lynn. We love you. But also, uh, it's our very own uh, worship deacon, Pete. Uh, Pete was playing drums today. Pete's on staff with us as a church. And uh, we are so blessed to have him using his musical gifts and abilities. And so I got him a a special present here. I got him a brand new pair of skinny jeans. Um, (laughs) These are from my nine-year-old's closet. So they might be too big. We'll have to try and we'll see later. So uh, love you, Pete. Thankful for your happy birthday. we have been, as a church, on to more serious matters. Uh, um, yeah, Pete's parents are here in the front, so those are probably not his size, right? Yeah, all right. <laughs> as a church, I've been holding on to that one for like three weeks, guys. I'm really happy with how it went. As a church, we've been going through the Gospel of John for about a year and a half. We've really uh, kind of taken a deep dive in the Gospel of John. I think today is the 60th sermon in John. So if today... And then two more and we'll be done. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up where we're going to go in the fall. Uh, At the end of August, we're going to spend the whole fall studying the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, There's a lot in Daniel that's really rich. uh, Man, you guys are, you guys are responsive. Chris and Sean, you guys warmed them up really good. Uh, We're going to study the Old Testament book of Daniel. I'm really looking forward to that. Before that, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the summer looking at the book of Proverbs. uh, And you're going to just kind of dig in. We did summer in the Psalms last year, a little bit of summer in the Proverbs. But after we finish the Gospel of John in two weeks, we're going to bring back a sermon series that we did last year called Things That Are Hard To Do. And the big idea of this series, it really is kind of a grab bag of topics for us because how many of you know that following Jesus sometimes is hard? 
And there's lots of different things that can be hard as followers of Jesus. Last year we talked about it can be hard to share the gospel or it can be hard to talk about politics as a Christian. Well, here are the six topics we're going to hit. This is a combination of my own ideas, the elders as we've talked, and suggestions from church members. So the first one uh, was a member suggestion is how do we hold people accountable? How do you hold a brother or sister in Christ accountable without, without becoming rude or becoming controlling or even honestly being a jerk? The second one, we're going to talk about singleness, especially in a church like ours where we have so many families with young children, it can be hard either to be single, to be unmarried, or for those of you who are married, those of us who are married, to love single people well. So we're going to talk about singleness. Week three, to think biblically about sexuality. How many of you as Christians know it can be hard in our culture and in our world to think Uh, the way that God thinks about sexuality. And I am such a brave and loving and caring pastor that I invited a guest preacher to come do that one. (laughs) Justin Anderson from Icon Church. He was out in January and preached. He's going to come back again and and serve us by teaching on that one. And then uh, talking about race, because if we weren't having enough fun talking about sexuality, let's bring up the other one and... Yes, that will also be a guest preacher. Uh, our very own Rabbi Matt, Matt, Rabbi Matt Rosenberg, who uh, you might remember him. He, as a Jewish follower of Jesus, has some really good insights and things about what Jesus came to do to bring us together as Jew and Gentile under the crucified and risen Messiah. I'll be back on to teach on the end times. Uh, if you don't fully, 100% perfectly understand the end times by the end of that sermon, money back guarantee. And then the last one is to love your actual neighbor. To not love your neighbor in the theoretical, but to love those that God has really placed in proximity to you. And so that's what we're going to do after the end of the Gospel of John. One more thing, one more special thing, and I I promise I'll I'll take it out of my stoppage time in preaching. Um, the, you may have noticed as we've gone through the gospel of John, some of these types of images, these, these background images, these, these photos that we've used. I don't know if Tom, if you can put a couple of these up, really beautiful imagery, uh, really beautiful pictures of you know, like the city of Jerusalem and the baptism of Jesus. This was actually uh, brought to us when we started the gospel of John by David. I think Dave, David's sitting up right there who pointed out there's this, there's a gospel of John movie. There's a, an organization and a group that, that said, well, let me ask you this question. Have any of you ever been a little bit embarrassed by the quality of certain Christian movies and particularly, particularly Jesus ones? And so this group of people set out to make really beautiful and authentic movies of the four gospels. Uh, and so what they did is actually the, the actors are speaking in Aramaic or in Latin or in Greek, and it's just a word-for-word literal narration of the entire Gospel of John or Mark or Matthew. Uh, and so you can find these pretty much wherever you know, DVDs are sold, things like that. Uh, Pastor Kyle actually bought a set on DVD, but I just noticed a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, that they put them all up for free on Netflix. I mean, if you have a Netflix account, obviously, or your parents' Netflix account login. Uh, so you can go on Netflix. You can watch the entire Gospel of John. The reason I, I make a big deal out of this is this is a pretty significant journey that we've taken as a church. This is the longest single sermon series that, that we have done. And I thought it might be fitting at some point in the next couple of weeks before we wrap up for you, if, you, know, you and your spouse, you and a group of friends, you and your community group to set aside some time and just watch the Gospel of John on Netflix. I wanted you to know that these resources are available. And I'm actually going to show you a, a three-minute clip 
it's, it's the reading of last week's passage and today's passage. So Vicki, you did a phenomenal job of reading the scripture. We're going to go for round two here, okay? So three minutes to just watch this little clip and just to see uh, kind of the authentic way that they went about it and hopefully for you to kind of get a little bit of a different perspective on it. So I'll have the guys in the booth roll it now if you would. So maybe for some of you, uh, that resource would be helpful, a way for you to connect with the scriptures. Uh, I just appreciate that for once in a movie, Jesus isn't Irish. And so, <laughs> all right, with that said, let's turn our attention to this text today and, and the idea of uh, bringing our doubts to Jesus. Would you join with me in prayer? God, we give this time to you. Uh, we thank you for uh, this portrait, this story that, that took place behind locked doors so many years ago, but was, was written down for our instruction and for our benefit And so God, I pray now uh, that you'd help me to really communicate what is true and and what I believe you've really put on my heart to communicate to this church family. And God, I pray for each and every single one of us right now that you'd help us to lower the walls and the defenses that we have. God, maybe like Thomas, we've got some skepticisms or some doubts or some fears. And I pray now that you'd help us by your grace to bring these fears and these doubts to you. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. You know, we think of different nicknames, uh, particularly in the Bible. You know, there's there's Father Abraham. uh, There's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. John, uh, John the Revelator, who wrote this book, because he also wrote the book of Revelation. Or actually, John and his brother, they were nicknamed the, the Sons of Thunder. Great nickname. Also a great, maybe, punk rock band name. Uh... But perhaps, perhaps no nickname that would come from the biblical story is as popular as as widespread as Doubting Thomas. Even people who aren't, you know, followers of Jesus or maybe even all that familiar with the biblical story still use the phrase Doubting Thomas. Oh, don't be such a Doubting Thomas. Thomas is interesting because uh, I think if we're being honest, we all relate to him maybe more than we would care to admit And Thomas is known from this one scene, you know, doubting Thomas, but we've actually seen Thomas twice earlier in the gospel of John. Thomas appears in all four gospels. He's he's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but in John, we actually hear him speak and we get to know his personality a little bit more. Maybe you remember back in, in John chapter 11, there's a scene where Jesus and his disciples are gonna go to Bethany, because Lazarus has died and they're going you know, to go and be with, with Mary and Martha, his sisters. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, don't go. Don't go to Bethany. The leaders want to kill you. It's dangerous. Don't go. And, and Jesus says, we must go. It's time. We have to go. And, and then Thomas, verse 16, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. There's kind of this resolute like, well, this might as well happen kind of a thing. And I wonder if maybe some of Thomas's skepticisms or whatever has to do with the fact that he's a twin because twins are always up to shenanigans, right? So I don't know, like there's, there's something there. I don't want to you know, speculate too much, but you see this portrait of, you know, everyone's trying to talk Jesus out of doing something hard. And he's the one that says, nope, let's just go. Let's get it over with. If Jesus is going to die, let's go and die with him. Or you may remember in John chapter 14, 
the upper room discourse and Jesus is talking and he says, I'm, I'm going to my father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, there's many rooms. And, and he says, Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas speaks up and goes, Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. Where are you going? What are you talking about? What are you saying? And I, I see this portrait of Thomas. It's not just like doubts and skepticism, but I, I see him as, as being someone who's interested in that which is real. That he's the one that raises his hand and goes, Jesus, could you like slow down for us? I'm not really tracking with what you're talking about. And when it's time to like go to Jerusalem or to go to Bethany near Jerusalem, he's like, well, let's just go do it. And so I would like to officially launch a PR campaign today to rebrand Thomas from doubting Thomas to pragmatic Thomas, okay? And I would like to enlist you all into my PR campaign because you know, you know what pragmatic means? Pragmatic means somebody who is interested in, in, in something that's sensible, you know, a, a pragmatic person is a realistic person. They don't have time for your fluff and nonsense. They don't want esoteric, theoretical things. They want what's real and what's here and what's true and what's uh, not sentimental, okay? Quick, quick show of hands, just if you find yourself identifying with Thomas in this, okay? I want to be sensible. I like what's practical. I like what, yeah, okay, I see two hands up. From, I see that hand. Thank you. We're going to come back to that and look at that in a little bit because I want you to, to see how Jesus meets Thomas in his doubts and in his pragmatism, okay? So if you got your Bibles, let's dive in. We're going to start in verse 24. Let's walk through these, these verses. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. You might remember last week, our, our guest preacher, Christopher Rich, he, he said, you know, this is on a Sunday when Jesus appears on Easter Sunday to his disciples behind a locked door. Now, Sunday for them was not like it is for us. Sunday was not typically a day off. Sunday was, it's the first day of the week. It's a work day. And so we don't ultimately know why Thomas wasn't with them. But I have to at least think there's a possibility that it's because he went and back to work. Thomas is like, well, that was awful. Jesus died. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go to work. He just seems like that kind of a guy. I could be wrong, but it just seems like something, maybe he's a realistic uh, a possibility. So the other disciples went and told him, we've seen the Lord. It's not just that the tomb is empty. It's not just that the stone has been rolled away, but we've actually seen Jesus. But he said to them, I mean, listen to the intensity of this statement here. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and, and, and place my finger. No, I don't want to just see. I want to place my finger into the mark of the nails. Nope, I'm still not done. Third criteria, I want to place my hand into the wound from the spear that was thrust into his side. If those things happen, what does he say? I will never believe. How, how many of you have ever gotten your hopes up for something and then you were disappointed? You ever had that feeling? Like, like I really wanted something. I really hoped for something. I really thought something good was going to happen. Maybe you were up for a promotion and at work and all signs pointed to yes. Maybe there was, you know, a, a certain someone who was paying some special attention to you and you thought maybe that a, like, you know, being asked out was coming up or whatever. I mean, it, all sorts of different experiences in, in, in life where disappointment sets in, 
what happens on the other side of that disappointment? Walls go up. Cynicism, guards go up. Think about Thomas walking with Jesus, listening to him teach, listening to him say outlandish things like, I came from heaven. Watching him do outrageous miracles like feeding the 5,000 or or giving sight to the blind. And and you think about all of the promises that the, the Jewish prophets had made that when the Messiah shows up, He'll restore the fortunes to Israel and, and the, the blind will see and the, the lame will, will run and the mute will speak. And, and maybe he got his hopes up that, that the oppressive Roman government would be pushed out and Jesus would be the king of Israel and everything would be what we thought it was going to be. And then Jesus died. Before we pile on Thomas, can't we at least identify with him a little bit? I have my hopes up. I thought something good was going to happen. And if I don't get some serious proof, you know, it's like the, it's like the line from the band, the who won't get fooled again. I got my hopes up once with this Jesus character. Don't you come around and start telling me some crazy things like he's alive. Verse 26, eight days later, which actually I don't think is the best translation. I think, uh, the best translation is actually on the eighth day, meaning the next Sunday. Uh, you may have heard it in the, the, the John clip that I showed. It said a week later. Uh, I think it is the next Sunday. Either way, not ultimately that important. But his disciples were again, again, were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Okay, so somebody invited. Come on, Thomas. Let's gather. Let's spend some time together. And although the doors were locked, John puts these little phrases in there, doesn't he? Like, yeah, the doors are locked, but don't you imagine that has to do something with Thomas's heart? (laughs) It's like, I will not believe. Locked, deadbolted. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And friends, uh, I was so thankful that phrase was in last week's passage. I was so thankful for the way uh, Chris presented it to us. Because he said it's not just a greeting. It's not just, well, hey, peace be with you. But it's a message that you now have peace with God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, wherever you are today, before, you, before we go into all the ways that we need to, to grow and to change and do the different things that we are called to do as Christians, the first and most fundamental thing that you hear today is a message from our Lord and Savior Jesus saying that there is peace with you. That you have now been reconciled with God through the work of Jesus on the cross. That though we were wandering, and actually not even just wandering, actively resisting God, Christ came in love to bring us into a relationship of peace with God. How many of you are thankful for that truth today? Thank you, Jesus, that the message of the gospel is peace with God. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to fear. You don't have to keep your performance. You don't have to keep your GPA, your spiritual GPA up to a certain level or else God will reject you. No, you have peace with God because of what Jesus did. And he says, Thomas, come here. Peace be with you. First of all, he peers behind locked doors. He was supposed to be dead, There's lots of other reasons to say peace be with you as well. 
But then he says, Thomas, come here, buddy. Put, put your finger here. First of all, I love that that tells us Jesus was listening in. He was not with Thomas and the disciples when this conversation took place. Jesus is listening. Jesus knows the depths of our hearts, our deepest desires, and he even knows our doubts and our skepticisms. Thomas, come here. Put your finger. See my hands? Oh yeah, what what was that about the side? Come on, put your hand on my side. Come here, Thomas. The doors were locked. Thomas's heart was locked. What does Jesus do? But pull him close. Some of you in your relationship with God, you feel like God's the one with the doors locked and you're just trying to break your way into the house. And I'm here to tell you that that is not the Savior that we know and love and worship. That Jesus the Savior is always all about pulling us closer than we ever thought was possible. Do you see the grace that's manifest with Thomas here? Thomas isn't even like a good seeker, you know? I'm just on a spiritual journey, really looking for, he's like, nope, I will have nothing to do with it. And Jesus just comes and gets him. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Friends, what have we been saying for a year and a half? The point of the gospel of John is that he wants us to believe. This right here is the spiritual, theological, and emotional pinnacle of the entire gospel of John. Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him. Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God. Thomas finally understands what Jesus has been saying this whole time. And I love that he cries out, not just you are Lord and you are God. What does he say? My Lord and my God. For Thomas, this is no longer the faith of Mary Magdalene or the faith of of Peter or John who came and told him. This is now his own faith. He is brought into relationship with the crucified and resurrected Savior. We have some kids in the room. Kids, I'm glad you're here. Your parents drove you, unless you took an Uber, which is strange. Let's talk afterwards. I'm glad that your parents brought you to church. But at some point, your faith needs to transition from the faith of my mom and dad to your own faith, where you cry out along with Thomas, my Lord and my God. And actually, while I'm at it, it's not just for kids. Some of you maybe have been going to church for decade after decade after decade because your grandma told you to. And God bless granny, Jesus is inviting you in so that you, along with Thomas, can cry out, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? (laughs) Yes, that really helped a lot. Thank you, Jesus. But listen to what Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that for? Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply in love with a Jewish rabbi from Carpenter who I've never seen with my earthly eyes or heard preach with my earthly ears, and I just love him a lot. And I wish, 
I do wish, I've, I've mentioned this a handful of times, I wish we could see Jesus. I wish I could just go sit down and hand the pulpit off to him. I wish that he was here and we could, I like Thomas could touch the nail scars and I, I wish for that. But do you hear what Jesus says? Jesus says, you've not seen me with your physical eyes. You've not heard me with your earthly ears. You are blessed. Can you believe that today, friends? That Jesus calls those of us who have who've placed our trust in Jesus. You're blessed. That's yeah, great to see and believe. But we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. There's, there's a lot of other miracles, John says. I could have written about a lot of things. But I chose these ones specifically I put these ones down on paper so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Many scholars believe that this is the original ending of the Gospel of John. That what we're going to do for the next two weeks, looking at chapter 21, was added later, either by John or some of his, his followers, his disciples early on. Like, oh yeah, there's a few other stories. We've got a, an epilogue of sorts. But this is the point of the gospel of John, that we might cry out with Thomas, my Lord and my God, and we go all in with King Jesus. Now, I want to draw a few things out from this story. I want to talk about our doubts. I want to talk about our pragmatism. And I want to talk about sharing the gospel. I'll try to move through these quickly. But I want to go, I want to take enough time because I think there's conviction for each and every single one of us, starting with me, when I consider the implications of what we're told here in the gospel of John. I I want to start by saying this though. Talking about doubt. Every person on planet earth experiences doubts. Okay? And I'm going to say it again. Because there can be this weird thing that happens in churches sometimes where we feel this pressure to spiritually perform. Oh, me? No, I doubting Thomas, that idiot. <laughs> I always believe. I always have faith. And and we can almost have this fear to say, "Hey, I I got some questions." <laughs> I've had, you know, First-hand experiences, I've heard stories from people in here who were directly reprimanded for ever raising your hand and saying, hey, there's some things I don't fully understand. Everyone has doubts. If you as a follower of Jesus never have doubts or questions, you might not be thinking hard enough about the faith that we claim to have. These can be small things, you know, God, why is that in the Bible? I don't understand. What, what, is, what is going on in the book of Judges? It could be big things. God, are you even here for me? God, why am I going through all of this? Do you love me? Do you care about me? Is, is there even a God? Is, I, I've never seen him. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? That's crazy. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? I'm here to tell you that God is big enough. If, if he can meet Thomas in this place, he can meet you in your doubts and your questions. 
Read the Psalms. Read the, the, the book of, uh, you know, the, the prophets where they, they just bring their questions to the Lord. What is going on, God? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I want to trust you, but I don't fully get it. For some of you, you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't doubt like a bad thing? I've read the Bible and doubt's a bad thing. How can you sit here and try to, you know, encourage people in their doubts? I'm not trying to encourage you in your doubts. What I am trying to say, and this is, this is point number two, is there's a difference between good doubt and bad doubt. Yes, the Bible has some really negative things to say about bad doubt. It's, it's the doubt of unbelief. It's the doubt of, yeah, prove it. But there is good doubt. Doubt that says, I don't get it, but I want to. It's the, it's the father. You read in, in, in the gospel of Mark when, when Jesus says, everything's possible for the one who believes. And the father with the sick child says, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like I do believe you, but just not enough. Help me. John Frame, uh, really uh, just amazing theologian. John Frame does not know how to write a book that is fewer than 900 pages. I'm not joking. And in one of those giant books, he says, the Bible constrains us to make a distinction between good and bad doubt. This amounts to a distinction between believing and unbelieving doubt. You hear that? Believing doubt and unbelieving doubt. Unbelieving doubt is the doubt of a heart that is not transformed by God's grace. It doesn't really seek guidance from God, just a way to escape from God's claim. Believing doubt, however, and then he quotes from another author, Barnabas Piper, instead of letting unbelief in, ventures out in faith and seeks to waylay it. Just as unbelieving doubt is against belief, this sort of doubt is the driving force behind belief. Here's the analogy that came to me this week as I was thinking about this kind of like believing doubt. Is there anybody in the room that currently has a four-year-old? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. Yeah. What do four-year-olds do scientifically 300 times every day? They ask a lot of questions. Why is the, why is the grass? Yeah, right? You're, yeah. Why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? Mom, why does your face look like that? Dad, you know, like they just ask anything that comes into their little heads and, and they just ask it and they say it and they ask it and they ask it and they ask it. Why? Why? Because they think you're amazing and that you know everything and they want to be like you and they want to understand and they want to make sense of the world. Now, I know that I've had four-year-olds before. I know that we can get weary of their questions, but just think about it for a moment. You wouldn't scold or reprimand a child, a a precious four-year-old child who's just trying to learn about the world. You might say, mommy needs a break from your questions for a minute, which is why in the liturgy, we even have things about the Lord does not faint or grow weary. So let's, let's bring our questions to him. He's better than we are. Okay. You know who else asks a lot of questions? Middle schoolers. <laughs> uh, middle school, I love, I see you over there. I love you. You can be challenging at times. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, right? Middle schoolers sometimes, sometimes, not these middle schoolers, other ones. Um, sometimes middle schoolers say things like, why? How come? What for? How come she? Right? I'm, I feel the awkwardness in the room with our middle schoolers. We love you. N- again, 
there's, a, there's an attitude difference. When we come to God, I, maybe Jesus, when he says, come to him like a child, maybe he means that. Just all the questions, all the curiosity, all the doubts. But not the attitude of, prove it, God. Number three, we are specifically instructed in the word of God to have mercy on those who doubt. That comes from Jude verse 22. And by the way, I find this particularly humorous because do you know who Jude, Jude is? Jesus' brother. Jude was one of the brothers of Jesus. What do we know about Jesus' family during his earthly life and ministry? They were like, okay, Jesus, we have come to take you away to the loony bin because you're saying things like, I come from heaven, and you don't. We were there. You were, you were there in the, in the room, and we... This is Looney Tunes, and we're going to take you away. After Jesus died and, oh, you know, rose again, Jude, another brother James, the whole family, they're like, he was telling the truth. And they spend their lives in advancing the gospel. I think that Jude has some moral high ground when he says, hey, take it easy on those who doubt. Sometimes people are in process. Don't beat them up. Let him ask some questions. John Calvin in his commentary on this Thomas story, John Calvin says, we could be too hard on, John, on, on Thomas because you look at Thomas like, oh, he didn't have faith. He didn't, he didn't believe. And what John Calvin says is he actually did. It's just that his faith had been trampled down and beaten down by these terrible circumstances. And when he comes into contact with Jesus, boom, faith explodes. Don't be too hard on Thomas. Don't be too hard on those people. Don't be too hard on yourself when it's, I'm struggling a little bit right now. One other thing about the idea of doubt is we need to lean on those who have gifts of faith. The gift of faith is listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Obviously, all of us who are Christians, we all have faith. They're saving faith in Jesus. But do you know those people that have that gift of faith? The gift of faith looks a lot like optimism, maybe. Just people who are, are they hold steadier even in up and downs in times of trial. If you, if you don't have a friend with the gift of faith, I encourage you, find one. They would love to encourage you and stand with you. Ups and downs, they'll still grab you and look at you and say, hey, God is good. He loves you. And we can lean on those when we're struggling. I, I, I want... My hope and my prayer is that Sound City Bible Church would be the kind of place where we can share those doubts and those struggles that we have. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Because it's hard to. It's hard to be a church community and to be a church family that really kind of takes the masks off and says, hey, let's just be real. Now, I want to take this one level deeper because I think that there's something going on with Thomas. Again, this story is given to us to show, hey, here's some things not to do. But if Thomas is not just full of doubt, like I said, but actually full of pragmatism, we need to talk about that, okay? So when I say pragmatism, I want to make a distinction as well between good pragmatism and bad pragmatism. Good pragmatism looks a lot like living with wisdom. Jesus says, if you're going to build a tower, don't you sit down first to calculate the cost and make sure you got enough money to finish the tower? That way you don't get halfway through it, run out of money, and everyone, literally, Jesus goes, everyone will laugh at you. That's, it's in the text. Go look, it's in Luke. He goes, everyone will make fun of you because you didn't figure out if you had enough money to finish building the tower. 
The book of Proverbs says things like, you know, a wise person has treasures stored up, but the foolish person just consumes everything that they have. Friends, is it good to live with wisdom? Is it good to have a plan? Is it good to be responsible and to be mature and to be uh, decisive and to be thoughtful and to not just run off and chase dreams and, and, and to chase after things and get ourselves and those that we love into a lot of trouble? Is that a good thing, right? But here's the thing. There is a bad form of pragmatism as well. And I think the bad form of pragmatism looks a lot like needing absolute certainty before you even take one inch of movement. What does Thomas say? Unless I see the nail marks, feel the nail marks, put my hand into his side, I will never believe. I think this bad pragmatism looks a lot like fear. I'm not going to get fooled. I'm not going to look like an idiot. This bad pragmatism looks a lot like not ever taking any risks. Bad pragmatism blocks out any hardships or challenges that God might want to use to draw us closer to him. It looks like needing to have every single thing figured out before we even move an inch. Friends, I am not saying we should be foolish and just throw caution to the wind and train wreck our own lives or the lives of others. But what I am saying is the gospel sets a limit to our pragmatism because at the end of the day, we serve a savior who was crucified and rose again. That's not very pragmatic. John tells us that we, we are inhabited by a Holy Spirit who blows like the wind and he goes wherever he wishes. Well, yeah, but is there like a tide table for the Holy Spirit so I can get on his schedule and figure out when, when he's going to go, you know, this way or that way? No, it's the Holy Spirit. He's in charge. Can you hear me on this sound city? I, I know from my own life, there are times, um, well, let me use the example of leading the church. As one of the elders, I can have this mindset of over-pragmatism where I have to figure out every single thing before we even take one step of faith to follow Jesus. And it looks like wisdom, but if I'm being completely honest, it's really fear. Some of how we're operating in our lives, our families, our workplaces, it looks like wisdom, but it really is fear or control. And the gospel sets a limit to that. The, the resurrected Jesus shows up behind locked doors. Pragmatic that. We have a supernatural God, a surprising and unexpected Holy Spirit, and a crucified and resurrected Messiah. Yes, let's live with wisdom. But sometimes, God's wisdom looks like folly to the world. And I want to share one last thought with you on, on this because I was thinking about how the disciples went and got Thomas. Thomas, come in here. We, come and see. We, we saw the Lord. We, we, we want to bring in. He wants like this really high bar of evidence. Have any of you ever felt like 
man, if I was just a little bit smarter and studied a little bit more, I could probably convince my really skeptical friend to become a Christian. Anyone ever had that feeling? That thought? Like, I just need, I just, anybody, okay, let me, let me make it even easier for, me, for you. Have any of you ever not shared the gospel with someone because you've been afraid that you don't know enough? For the record, I am a huge fan of studying. And I think the church needs more Christians digging deeper, not fewer. Just that's on the record, okay? However, your smartness is not what will convert anybody. Your study, your knowledge, your ability to articulate the, the textual variance between you know, the ending, the extended ending of the Gospel of Mark versus the original ending of the Gospel of Mark, your ability to go in and talk about you know, e- ancient Egyptology and how Pharaoh was a representative of the god Horus. And so when you look at the plagues, it's really like spiritual warfare between Yahweh. You, like, yes and amen. Knock yourself out. Do it. Some of you are like, I've never heard this. I need to study it. Come talk to me after. It'll be great. We'll nerd out. It will be delightful. But listen... The evidence is not what converted Thomas. The spirit of God is what converted Thomas. The evidence is just what he tripped over to fall into faith in Jesus. Back in John chapter three, when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, he says, unless someone is born again, unless someone is born of the Holy Spirit, they can't see the kingdom of God. I just, I say this to you, Because I want you to study. I want you to learn. I want you to get smart about the Bible. I want you to devote yourself to growing as a a mature and wise and even learned disciple of Jesus. But at the end of the day, that's not what saves anybody. The pressure is off of you to get it perfectly right. You can just tell people, Jesus died. Jesus rose again. God loves you. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Come and believe. The simple truth of the gospel, the simple truth of how Jesus met you in your brokenness. Again, if, 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 I, if my, my radar is, is right, I think it could be easy for us to feel like my neighbors are really smart people and if I don't meet smartness with smartness, they're just never going to believe. Friends, the Spirit of God is who changes a human heart from unbelief to belief. Pray for them Love them, serve them, share the gospel with them. Yes, get smarter, but the pressure's off of you. Isn't that good news? So after all that, here's my big idea for today. (laughs) That was just the intro. Let's start the sermon now. Here's the big idea for today. And it's just simply this. The risen Jesus meets us with grace, even in our doubts and our pragmatism. I I want you to hear me loud and clear wherever your heart's at today. Some of you I know, some of you I know are showing up today and you're just struggling. Things in your life, things in your marriage, things in your career, things in your family, your health, they're just not going the way you hoped that they would go. And you got these little questions in the back of your mind or you've got a plan to attack and to fix all of the things that you pragmatically are going to just make it all happen. And today... Jesus comes and says, put your hands in my side. Experience my grace. You don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. Jesus has it all figured out. And we can trust him. Amen? 
God, I ask and I pray now that as we come to the table, as we come to receive of your grace in this nourishing meal, I pray you'd help us to bring our doubts and our fears to you now. I pray you'd help us to bring our best laid pragmatic plans to you now. Jesus, as we turn our hearts to worship you through singing and through the Lord's table, God, I pray that you'd meet us in our doubts and our fears and our over-pragmatism. We thank you for this opportunity. I pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it talks about eating and drinking of uh, eating of the bread and drinking of the cup as a, as a reminder of Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. And so today as we eat and as we drink, let's go to the table. Some of you are feeling like, I got all these doubts, I got all these fears, I can't go to the table. Yes, this is the perfect time to run to the table. Bring your doubts and your fears to Jesus. Some of you are saying, oh, I, need a, I got my pragmatism, I got my plan. Come and eat and drink of Jesus today. The Apostle Paul also instructs us that we are to examine our hearts to see if there's anything unclean, to see if there's anything that we need to bring to Jesus. Again, this is not an opportunity for you to find reasons not to celebrate communion, but for you to throw yourself before him like Thomas and cry out, you're my Lord, you're my God. I'm going to eat and I'm going to drink. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never placed your trust in Jesus, the invitation is give him your sin, give him your doubts, give him your whole life, and join us at the table. Join us at the table. Say, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to become a Christian. I want to follow him. My Lord, my God.